Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that investigates matters to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. This program and extended segments of the interview are also available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And in this program, we look at news stories from around the world, including Toyota is the world's biggest seller of cars. In our feature interview, we talk about how image is so important to selling a car. We road test the Mitsubishi Fev, and in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at digital advertising displaying special messages based on what sort of car you're driving. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. It's official. Toyota is the world's biggest selling car maker for 2014 with 10.23 million vehicles sold around the world. Second place went to Volkswagen with 10.14 million units sold, a 4% increase over 2013. General Motors is in third place with 9.92 million, although that figure is 2% up on last year. However, Toyota's position at the top of the world rankings is a little tenuous. They predict their sales in 2015 will decline slightly, while Volkswagen products like the Golf, which is currently only a middle performer in the US, has won a bundle of Car of the Year awards. Volkswagen is also doing well in China and is opening a new factory in Changsha, which will add capacity for another 300,000 vehicles annually. Today's political landscape is volatile to say the least. We have recently seen that Minor parties can get some leverage in both the federal and state parliaments. Transport has played its game with the election of Ricky Muir on the Australian Motoring Enthusiast Party to the federal Senate. Now the cyclists want their turn. For the first time, the Australian Cyclist Party will contest the New South Wales election. They will run 15 upper house candidates and 7 lower house candidates. There has been a clear trend recently for planners and urban designers to distance themselves from cycling radicals. A lycra-clad cyclist is, in many areas, seen as a derogatory term representing cycling zealots. The cyclist party accept that riders have to coexist with motorists. They are also calling for a review of speed limits, no bicycle registration scheme and 20% of questions in licence tests for motorists should cover road sharing rules. Bridgestone has announced that it has joined the Tire Stewardship Australia organisation. Tired Stewardship Australia was formed 12 months ago to encourage best practices in the disposal of old tyres. It aims to do this by educating both industry and consumer groups in things such as eradicating illegal and unsustainable recycling practices and research focused on new uses for recycled raw materials. The scheme is funded through an ACCC-approved levy of 25 cents per new passenger equivalent tyre sold in Australia. 61% of recent new car buyers reported that they purchased their latest vehicle due to a want and not a need, according to a new study from America. This points to the increasing health of the automotive market. The study by Autotrader.com also revealed that 64% of new car buyers reported that they researched cars first and then set their budgets. 
This further drives home the point that they are not feeling as cash-strapped as they are likely in previous years. When new car buyers begin the shopping process, 63% do not have a specific make or model in mind. To help them develop and refine their consideration sets, the majority of new car buyers, 75%, use the internet. But 77% have a clear idea on a make and model they want by the time they actually visit their first dealership. The chances of dying in a crash in a late model vehicle have fallen by more than a third in three years, a massive decline, according to the latest calculations of driver death rates from the American Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Among 2012 models, a record nine vehicles have a driver death rate of zero. However, the gap between the safest and the riskiest models remains wide, and three cars have death rates exceeding 100 deaths per million registered vehicles. The Institute calculates that there were 7,700 fewer driver deaths in 2012 alone than there would have been had vehicles remained the same since 1985. After leaving the World Rally Championships in 1999, Toyota has decided to make a return to this sporting event. But while it has announced its return and has already started testing the car, it will not make its return until the 2017 season, perhaps illustrating the complexity of this form of racing. Their new car will be a four-wheel drive, 1.6-litre turbocharged Yaris, producing over 225 kilowatts of power through a six-speed gearbox. Toyota had been in World Rally for 25 years and reached its pinnacle in the 1990s winning four drivers and three manufacturers championships. During that time, 43 wins were achieved with iconic cars like the Celica Twin Cam Turbo and GP and variants of the Corolla WRC. That has been the news. If image is everything, then Korea has some work to do. This is the view of Damien Meredith, the Chief Operating Officer of Kia Australia. Uh, talking to the industry at the Australian Open in Melbourne, of which, of course, Kia is a major sponsor, Meredith laments that Kia has a history of being promoted as a discount vehicle. In his words, the cars have been on sale for too long. If you keep offering cars based on the fact that they are cheap in price, the cars tend to get an image of that they are cheap in quality. Is this a problem? And what is Kia going to do about it? Let's talk to Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. Brent, I thought it was rather a frank discussion uh, from the Chief Operating Officer of Kia. Yeah, look, David, it's not that often we... Um, and Happy New Year, by the way, oh, to yes. everybody. And and welcome, <laughs> it, welcome back, and thank you, as always, for your time. It's, it's, look, it's not that often that we hear heads, or very close to the heads of, uh, of companies, talking so frankly. Hmm. I mean, he's right. What, what he said was right. We, we have this perception that, uh, that Kia's, to a greater degree, and Hyundai's to a lesser degree, are... Uh, uh, Cheap, cheap and cheerful, not cheap and nasty, but, but you know, we, we go into a Kia dealer or a Hyundai dealer and we expect that they will do the deal, quote unquote. You know, that, 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 that the 19990 on the windscreen is just the starting price and it should be drive away and we should get a whole bunch of uh, stuff thrown in. And they're the sort of things we wouldn't expect if you walked into Ford, Holden, Toyota, Nissan. Hmm. 
The other thing about being cheap and cheerful, if you get the image of a cheap quality, there's not much cheer in the equation, really, is there? That's right, and, and there is another problem. Kias haven't been poor quality cars. Haven't ha- well, let, let's not go there. Kia haven't been really poor quality cars. We, we, it's a perception that we, we work with. Mm. But um, even right now, the, the Kia cars have the you know, very good quality fit and finish. They're, they're bolted together beautifully. They have the same quality audio units and satellite navigation units and the whole bit as as comparable Japanese or Australian or American or English or whatever cars. Mm. You know, it, it's it's a bit unfortunate that we have this perception. I can tell you right now that, uh, as you well know, David, uh, every, every career that <laughs> tripping over my tongue, every Kia you see in a showroom has far better build quality and equipment levels than a lot of more expensive European cars mm. uh, that you'll find in the same in the same class size. And I think they get they're looking better too. That the, the Rio, uh, with their main seller, used to be a bit gawky looking. I think now they've uh, really got some style in them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, one of my little favourites is the the Proceed GT, the, the the little sort of three door hatchback thing with a very hot motor under the hood, and you know they're they're yeah they're, they're getting style there. The Optima, the the, the biggish sedan, we'd, we'd call it a mid size sedan. It's Kia's big car, beautiful looking car, drives well, fit and finish. Par excellence. Mm, it's very good. They didn't have a very good year in two thousand and fourteen. No, well, look, twenty-eight thousand and, and change. Um, it's it's not bad by by most standards, but the the fact is uh, they ha- they had dropped off by uh, almost eighteen hundred units mm. compared to two thousand and thirteen. They, they they took a six percent uh, drop for the year, and that's that's concerning. Um, for for that that end of the industry, mm. it's it's not great, and I think some of their best sellers were the ones that were hardest hit. Yeah, well, don't forget too that they had a little uh, bit of a supply problem at various times. So, uh, Serato, Rio, um, their SUV, the Sorento, which changed models by the way, so there was a, a bit of a drop off there. Um, though, yeah, they they had some supply issues with those. Mm. So uh, look. Sorry, sorry, David, go on. Yeah, so what can they do about it? They, they're certainly doing very well uh, backing their product very strongly with their warranties, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, who can argue with a seven-year warranty? I mean, the thing is, um, it was pointed out that uh, that uh, the average Australian buyer keeps their car three years. What that means is, when the car is on the sold, it goes it goes with an existing warranty, a transferable warranty, and that that's impressive. You know, yeah. You know, if you sell it after three years, you've still got four years left of the warranty. That's better than some new cars. Absolutely. No, no argument there at all, and and the the build quality is such that um, not very many calls we made on on those warranties. I'm I'm guessing. Brent, uh, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. David, it's always my pleasure. That's Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury, and you can hear a longer version of the interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au.
the Mitsubishi FEV, P-H-E-V. It stands for Plug-In Hybrid Electric Vehicle. It's had mixed reviews from some motoring press. Some say that it doesn't quite know what it is. Is it a fuel-saving electric vehicle or a four-wheel drive? But the NRMA had one for a long-term test and they were very happy. Overdrive ourselves have had one for an extended period over the Christmas break and found that once you got used to it, it serves its function well. And the respected motoring internet site, The Motor Report, gave it their Best Car Buy of the Year award. Tim O'Brien from The Motor Report joins us on the line to tell us why. Tim, how does this uh, car actually work? Well, look, David, it, it's very interesting, the uh, the Outlander FEV. It's a plug-in hybrid, so that sort of separates it from, you know, cars like the Prius, um, which is uh, which basically sort of is a self-contained um, uh, electric motor and, and petrol engine. In, in the in the case of the Prius, the petrol engine does does most of the work, but is assisted by assisted by an electric motor, and there is. Um, there's a very large battery pack inside the Prius, you know, which uh, which the that that hybrid drive uh, keeps keeps charged. Now the FEV is different, being a plug-in hybrid. It's the the electric motors do most of the work in the FEV. Then I say motors because there is a there's an electric motor um, for the front axle and an electric motor for the rear axles, and um, and the the petrol engine, it's primary function, not its sole function, but its primary function is just to keep the battery charged and the battery sits underneath the floor. And so the um, so when, when the battery charge drops, the petrol engine chimes in. It also chimes in though when the FEV is under, if you're under heavy acceleration or carrying a load, you know, going up a hill, then the petrol engine will, will, will chime in and assist the, the electric motors. So it's, it's, it's quite different to the way a conventional hybrid hybrid works. In fact, you could Electric, plug, yes. you could plug it in every night and run for the first forty k's or so purely on a, the electric charge and operate it like an electric vehicle. Exactly, and that's that's the brilliance of this car. Now, it, its range its range is is fifty two uh, kilometres in the in the best of all possible worlds. We we managed we managed to get somewhere between forty and fifty uh, kilometres um, out of it um, off an electric charge. Um, and that, that that's another thing that that we 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 think is really quite brilliant about this car, David. Most people, most people, you know, if you're taking the kids to school and going to the gym, doing the shopping, coming home again, most people won't drive more than 50 kilometres on that sort of daily, you know, sort of the daily run, whatever the daily run is. Mm. And... um and even most commuters, you know, do uh, uh, do uh, considerably less than 60 kilometres a day. You know, those that drive their car in now to work. If you assiduously plug the FEV in every night, it will charge the battery, take the battery back to to a full charge. That will cost around about three dollars. So, in other words, about the cost of a cappuccino. Um, and uh, and then you can drive all the next day on electric charge only. If you plant the foot, the petrol engine will chime in. So by the end of the day, you know, you might be showing something like 1.5, 1.7 uh, litres per 100 kilometres. But the electric motor will have been doing, and the battery will have been doing most of the work for the day. And um, mm. so you can run the FEV all week on electric charge. 
And then come the weekend, if you want to drive, like you know, here in, in Victoria, if you want to drive down to Wilson's Prom, or you want to drive up to the Mallee, to the to the uh, you know to to the Murray River, you can you just jump in the car and go. Mm. And the petrol engine will keep the battery charged to enable you, you to do that. And uh, and as as we did, we did a number of uh, we in fact did a couple of thousand kilometre trips in the uh, in the in in the Fev and still returned really good petrol consumption because the electric motor when the charge is there the electric motor is assisting so you get this assisted drive mm. even when even when you're away from a power point. Yeah, it's it's very good, isn't it? And uh, uh, of course, its um, price is incredible, really, compared to other electric or plug-in vehicles. And uh, this is precisely, David. You know why we anointed it the best buy. Mm. It's a full twenty thousand dollars cheaper than the equivalent BMW i3, the range extender uh, BMW i3, which is a very good car. Uh, the range extender i3 is uh, it's around about you know seventy odd thousand dollars. I've got it in front of me here. We're around about seventy odd thousand um, dollars in um, you know with 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 a small uh, yeah sixty nine 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 hundred. Around about seventy thousand dollars plus on road costs. It, it has a small six hundred odd cc, you know, uh, petrol engine. Uh, the the Fev uh, is forty seven uh, for forty seven thousand four ninety for the for the base model, which is a very well equipped base model, I have to say, and. Um, and just a touch over fifty thousand dollars for the, uh, you know, for the leather trimmed uh, Aspire version. Uh, Tim, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. And you too, David. Thank you very much. And that's Tim O'Brien from the Motor Report talking about the Mitsubishi Fev plug-in electric hybrid vehicle. And you can hear a longer version of that interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. And now it's that time again where we talk about the unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And on the line I have Brian Smith. Gay Brian. G'day, David. And Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. Now, Brian, you have a story for us. Indeed, this story is about um, targeted advertising, David. This is the, the sort of uh, things you see in, in movies where the, um, uh, the advertising sign changes to a personalised message to you as you're walking past it. Of course, if you use the, the internet and use Google, um, you'll see that uh, ads on the internet or on computers are often um, targeted at, uh, to cover stuff that you've been searching for. Um, now, this is going to a, a new level. So in an Australian first, there'll be a roadside billboard that will tailor its messages according to the type of car that people will drive. So, for example, it will only show an advertisement for Porsche when there's a Porsche driving past. Uh, the camera detects, or there is a camera that detects the vehicle, and in this case, they, they target it at Porsche owners. Um, they, they identify that it's a Porsche and display a message that reads, it's so easy to pick you out of a crowd. And um, it, it's quite an interesting sort of approach. Lexus is doing the same thing um, 
which is um, these intelligent billboards, uh, which this will look at different cars. It will actually uh, identify your car, take a shot of it, uh, match it against a database to determine its make, model, and color, and then uh, it will match this with contextual information, such as the time of the day, the weather conditions, traffic conditions, and it'll generate a bunch of different configurations aimed at you, say, hey, black Merc driver. Um, distracting, David? Um, oh, I'm sure fantastic. it's distracting. Yeah, mm. I, I think that will go. I worry when I drive past in our little 2002 Mazda, it says, don't bother with this ad, it's for, for a Porsche. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's the, these are all aimed at luxury cars. So you know, if you're driving a car that's that was less than 100k new, the ad just says, "Sorry, you're not worthy." <laughs> well, it should be it should be looking at the people. You know, you, I think it could um, the system could certainly identify you from, say, your mobile phone number, and using the information that you willingly give out at places like Facebook and and uh, other you know Twitter and places like that where you where you provide snippets of information about yourself, mm-hmm. it could certainly um, you know target target at the sort of things you're interested in. So you know not show you a Porsche ad if there's no way you're ever going to afford one. Okay, so I'd show you a Barina. Well, it may put some of your personal problems up there on the (laughs) billboard. (laughs) There's a big sign saying, at least you're not watching porn. (laughs) As you usually do at this time of the day. (laughs) Or you're about to get foreclosed. You know, your car is about to be repossessed. Pull over up here. How good is it identifying the car if you've had a few dings? Indeed, there's another one. Uh, then well, the message would come up, uh, don't fix it, just trade it in. Oh, yeah. Message to the other drivers, keep away from the, <laughs> the red Porsche. I like, how it, distance. I like how it detects the colour as well, which I think is rather good. Unless, of course, you have a really weird colour and, and it comes up with a message, something like, clearly you are colour blind. Get good advice <laughs> the next time you want to buy a car. That's right, you bought the hero colour. Yeah. Big mistake. <laughs> Well, yeah, up comes the sign, well, at least you can say it's different. <laughs> what happens if you're, uh, in, if you're in a car um, that's more expensive than the one being advertised? What sort of message do they send there? Oh, congratulations, you've arrived. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, something for the, for the 18-year-old daughter or son. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. 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 Or oh, don't waste any more money, downscale now. The, 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 the need, a, need another car for those just shopping trips? Yeah. Well, it might say we've looked at your bank account and really we think you should <laughs> trade this in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it might, it, it might well become, isn't it, the Minority Report, the movie. Uh, it talks is, about, yes. um, uh, what was it? Uh, um, who was Gap. I think it, it's... Uh, Yes, um, but Tom but Cruise. I, Tom Cruise. I, I, ironically, in 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 the Minority Report in the movie, um, there was a, a, a Lexus ad that was targeted as it, at him as he was walking That's through. Right. So, so f- fiction has become reality. Uh, it's only a matter of time, isn't it? In, indeed, it is. Uh, now, who was that? That what? That, whose story was that last one? That was Brian's. That was me. Yes. So so now, Errol, your your story. Yes, well, we're going from standing out in the crowd to a different way. Um, a video of possibly the most lavish public loo in the world has gone viral online. And believe it or not, it's at a petrol station. The Shell station in Bohol, Philippines, 
has luxury wood finish, framed paintings on the wall, a selection of classy magazines to pass the time with, luxury toiletries to clean up with, all the while smelling like a mansion. It's had uh, almost 7 million views on, on YouTube. Um, look it up and have a look. And um, speaking of uh, luxury lavatory service while you're traveling, when you don't have a square to spare, just tweet for more. Even if you're on a train, as a passenger on a Virgin train from London to Glasgow tweeted when he ran short, a staff member quickly responded by handing him a desperately needed fresh roll. Believe it or not. See, that, that luxury toilet, that was at a petrol station. Now, when we talk about petrol station toilets, it's usually a case of brickbats rather than bouquets. Uh, yes, uh, and and to have one that they talk about in uh, what well, it's had two million hits on YouTube or something or other one point two million hits, have uh, uh, watched uh, the actual picture of it. I think it's a uh, it's something that you could really make quite a distinction about if you had uh, quality toilets at your at your service station. Well, you you could get two million hits, or you could add a letter, couldn't you? Really. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I David, have a, uh, the, the I a friend who wanted to promote historic railway stations for people to visit. He wanted to encourage the people to visit, so he suggested that they clean the toilets twice a day and advertise the fact. Only twice a day? Well, well yeah. This one That's would better, better than what they were getting before. <laughs> <laughs> well, that probably indicates how bad, how limited number of times they were doing them beforehand, yes. Yeah. Look, I, this, I like the story about the uh, Virgin Train. Uh, I think, though, that if the person had been reading the newspaper, it wouldn't have been a problem at all, <laughs> rather than electronic, electronic reading material. Yeah, well, he, he thought about wiping his, his butt with his, uh, with his iPad, but um, that just wasn't going to go well. But seriously, I'd be using this as an advertisement to uh, advise people, you know, buy the newspaper, subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> yes, don't do it on a tablet anymore. All right, gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Thanks David. David. Uh, it's Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking some quirky news to do with motoring and transport. And you can find an extended version of this uh, uh, segment on our website at drivenmedia.com.au.